Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcasts. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health. You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns. I'm a mom, a writer, an LGBTQ activist, and I am the newest member of a hot tub Facebook group. I mean, that could mean a lot of things. It really could. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right. And I'm Missy Stevens. I'm a mom and dot, dot, dot writer, foster child advocate, and gardener. I grew lettuce this week and put it in a salad that we ate. Wow. I know. It's amazing. Well, this week we are untabooing, I'm sure that's a phrase, a really taboo subject. We're going to talk about money with our guest, Janice Scholl. Janice is a coach, speaker, and host of the Money, Career, and Motherhood podcast. She helps professional and business owner moms master their money and career break challenges. Her work helps moms feel confident while building a strong financial foundation for their family. Janice is passionate about illuminating the work-life struggle that causes working mothers to leave professional jobs to raise their families. And she has created strategic sabbaticals. I love that. I do a coaching that. program designed to amplify the growth and opportunity women find through a career break, ensuring a successful return to paid work. Welcome, Janice. Thank you so much for having me. That that description is just like everything I needed 15 years ago. So I'm, right. I'm excited Me for too. the people who are getting it now when, when I uh, need it back yeah. then. And, but I, but I still need it now. There's so many different phases of our lives when we do need all of that. So now before we get too much into the money matters, I think that your story, I know is one that Missy and I certainly relate to, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you did pre-parent life and how the arrival of your daughter kind of rocked your world a little bit? Cause they have a way of doing that, making us question all of our decisions and our priorities <laughs> in our life. Every they choice do. we've ever made. Yeah. Yes, they do. And you know, <laughs> mine are 11 and seven and I'm still doing that on a fairly regular basis, but, mm-hmm. but you know, my husband and I, had really great professional lives and we were just killing it in what we were doing personally and professionally pre-baby. And, you know, we were so excited when our daughter was going to be born and we planned as much as we can. We were people who we had spreadsheets for vacations. And I know people, this does not sound fun, no, but it I actually appreciate is. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're all spreadsheet people here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. On a so soul level. That's who we were. So we went into, you know, pre-parenthood with, we need to educate ourselves. We need to make plans. We need to have strategies for this to work. I was a commercial banker before and after our first was born. And so it was a busy and kind of a volatile schedule, but we thought we had it all figured out on the spreadsheet. And then our daughter was born and she didn't, she didn't follow the books and we really struggled in early parenthood. She had some medical challenges. And one of the things that really rocked my world was the fact that on, in my personal life, my job was to manage risk. It was to identify and mitigate risks that the bank and our clients could face. And here I was in my personal life and we were facing 
much higher medical bills than we had expected. We were facing my, you know, disconnect from my work due to the real identity crisis that motherhood had brought me. And it was shocking to me that me being a person who was supposed to be good at managing risk really just didn't anticipate what we were in for. And so that was one real experience that, that stuck with me and still does because I want families to be able to spend their time when things don't go to plan, focusing on what's important, not focusing on the money. That's what mm -hmm. I really realized. You know, we were finance people and we were able to manage financially the challenges that our daughter placed on us. But it took every ounce of my being to manage the emotional changes and the motherhood changes. And, oh, yeah. you know, I was also in school because I didn't have enough <laughs> on my plate with a professional oh my job and a bank and <laughs> Clearly a, a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had a boss at one point say like, wow, I'm just really impressed that you did that. And I'm like, it's nothing you should be impressed by. It was pure ignorance. It was pure <laughs> ignorance. Learn um, from my mistake. Right. Exactly. Uh, but but here I was, so I was killing it in my career. I was killing it at school. I was at, you know, at a great school. And, and so like, I thought I was doing some things right. And then the basic thing of being able to take care of this little human, I was failing at is how I felt. And as I went through this process, I needed to finish school. I committed to myself. I committed to my daughter that I would finish school, that I would show her that I could do this. And I just thought I had to grind it out. And while I was grinding it out, I had the opportunity to work on a project for school that looked at increasing females in top tier MBA programs. And it made me realize that all of the feelings that I was having, many, many women are having mm -hmm. them as well. And it wasn't my lack of ambition in my career. It's not that I didn't want to continue excelling in the areas I was before. It was just... I had this additional new identity that posed some challenges and I had to figure out how to put the pieces back together. Oh, wow. I think pretty, pretty much every mom needs to hear mm -hmm. that. I mean, really, whether your finances, you know, you feel very comfortable in them or whether it's paycheck to paycheck, I think every mom can appreciate that message. Yeah. And that feeling of failure that I think so many moms feel, and I wish that we talked about it more and I'm glad we're talking about it today. I think there are women who give birth and it just comes naturally to them, this parenting. But for most people that I talk to, it is this feeling of, I don't have the first idea of what I'm doing. It doesn't matter that I made all the spreadsheets and read all the books <laughs> and talked to all the people because every child is different and they all come with their own set of special things and yep. you're not failing. It's just, you have to learn, which is kind of takes us into the next thing we wanted to talk about. And it's, this may be really oversimplified because it's a super complicated subject, but in talking to moms and in talking to women, what do you find is the biggest roadblock they have when it comes to wrapping their arms around finances? Like, what is it? Is it a mental thing? Is it fear? What is it? So there are two things and you actually said one of them, which is we think that wrapping our head around money is really complex. And it is really big. Don't get me wrong, it's huge. And there are so many facets to money, but it's not complex unless we want it to be. It's hard 
it's really, (laughs) really hard, which are different things. And the second that I want to say is, you know, we think it's a lack of knowledge that we have with our money. And so we often seek knowledge, but what it actually is, is awareness that we're lacking, that we Mm. need to develop. So with just a little bit of knowledge that we probably already have most of it, we need to partner it with the awareness of where money hits our life, how money interacts in our life, the emotions we assign to it, because actually money is not an emotion, but it often magnifies our emotions. Then we can build something that works even though it's going to be hard. And so when I talk to women, a lot of times, the first step is really just getting them willing to have a conversation about it and getting them to recognize that even when we think we're not making decisions about money because we don't want to, like that's not our thing. Every time we make a decision or choose not to make a decision about money, that is a decision about money. Oh, I love that. Ooh, I'm actually, I can't jump to the look, listen, learns, but that's one of my things. That's sneak preview to that. Uh, oh, well, something that you had mentioned in an earlier podcast. And I can't find it, but I really want to write down. You're right. That- <laughs> You're writing that down. You know, we're going to have a recording of this, Missy. Yeah. <laughs> Just remind me that, that I wanted to write something down at that point, because that oh. is pretty groundbreaking. Then yes. not making a decision is a decision. Exactly. And I think not making the decision is making the decision, obviously, but sometimes that decision then means that you have no insight to your own finances. I've had several friends who either through a spouse dying or through divorce, they have learned situations about their finances that they never knew that they there was a loan or that there was a gambling problem or that they just didn't have the savings that they thought they had. Mm -hmm. And so what do you say to women who are like, Oh, I'm intimidated. I don't want to know all that stuff. You know, I don't want to be involved, but just to let them know how critical it is that they need to, they need to be involved in the money stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, over 90% of us will be the financial manager for our household at some point in our life, Mm -hmm. whether it's due to a divorce or it's due to the death of a spouse, women outlive men. So hopefully that time will happen, you know, years and years and years in the future. But the reality is we have unique financial needs. We have unique financial challenges. And it is really hard to pick up your finances in the midst of a disaster, you know, whether it's a divorce mm-hmm. or it's a death that is unexpected, that is a time when you need all of your emotional energy to focus on other things. You yeah. don't need to be focusing on money. And so it's this weird conundrum when I'm talking to women because the way that we take the hold that money has over our lives off of us is learning about money and understanding it. That's the way that we get to actually shut money out of our emotions and out of our lives. We have to know about it. And a lot of women often say, well, you know, but we have this system, my husband and I, and you know, he does the money stuff and that's okay. It's okay to divide and conquer. We do that in all kinds of ways in our family, Mm -hmm. but it's the conversations that you need to start having so that you can start understanding, first of all, where your spouse 
how they think about money because the way that we think about money can be fundamentally different. And so just understanding the perspective and then setting goals and looking at your family values in relationship to money can be a way to put you on the same team as your spouse Mm -hmm. without questioning the day-to-day management of the money. And that's the first piece. And then the second is emergency binder. Keep an emergency list and an emergency binder. Keep something that says, hey, these are our bank accounts. These are our loans. These are our obligations, our payments. Just so that like, you know, we leave something for the babysitter. Hey, these are the emergency contacts. (laughs) This is basically the babysitter list for us with our finances. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that. I'm so glad you said that because that was what I was going to ask next is like really nuts and bolts, like what your recommendations Mm -hmm. are. So you have that binder. Is that something where you'd imagine on a weekly basis or a monthly basis that couples would sit down and, you know, know the login and passwords. I mean, I would think would be the very bare minimum requirement to make sure that you're involved and that you have the access and visibility into what your actual assets are, but any general best practices for how to make sure that you're on top of things? Yeah. So the, the logins and passwords and all that kind of stuff, I don't think you really need to go through it weekly or monthly. Semi-annually is fine because unless you're adding a bunch of stuff to that and, you know, going through a period, like if you, maybe if you just bought a house, there's a lot of change in your Mm -hmm. money management, that would be a time to do it more frequently, but semi-annually is probably fine for that. Now, what you're talking though, is how to structure kind of a family meeting, ongoing dialogue about finances. And I absolutely think that either weekly or monthly, depending on your family makeup makes sense. And I like to advocate for values-based budgeting. So one of the things I think we're lacking often in our budgeting process to ensure we're successful is aligning our budget with our values and our goals. So when you meet with your spouse or significant other, having a way to not just talk about, hey, what did you spend on this month? Because that doesn't really feel good, right? (laughs) Um, Having a conversation of, hey, where are we at with these things that we say are important to our family Mm -hmm. unit? What do we, like, what are we on the same team about? What do we want to make sure we're teaching our kids? What do we want to make sure we're setting our goals for in the future? And then how is our money and our spending aligned with our values and goals? So I find this way, it kind of deflects some of the reasons why we don't want to have the conversation with our spouse. We're afraid it's going to turn into a, well, you spent this much on going out with the guys. (laughs) Do you really need a new person? These aren't the conversations we need to be having. We don't need to judge each other. We just need to get on the same team. And, you know, we talk a lot about looking at how we spend our time. I mean, we all know if we look at how much we scroll through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, maybe we would want to change the way that we spend our time. You want to do the exact same thing with your money, because if you're not looking at your money, I can assure you, you are spending on things that are not of value to you, that don't reflect who you believe you are and who your family is. And so doing that audit process, if you will, with your spending to align with your family can be really powerful. And it, and it makes it an exciting conversation to have with your spouse instead of, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to reframe it. Yeah. We keep coming up against values-based discussions in a lot of our conversations that we've been having on the podcast. And I think that is, it's a difficult thing to do. I've tried to do it. It 
is very vulnerable to say, what are my values? And you have to admit that you sometimes don't value certain things. But the idea of putting it around money is that's new concept to me. I think we've done it sort of subconsciously where we've said, you know, we have this long-term goal or in next year we want to buy a certain thing or take a trip or whatever it is. We're saying we value that, but we haven't actually sat down. I mean, my brain works. I would like to have it written on a piece of paper, like in the front of a binder saying this, this is our family value set and what we're working towards. I love that. It's like a mission statement for your like a mission business. statement. <laughs> it is like so everybody structures it differently, and I don't think that there's mm-hmm. one right way. So whether it's a mission statement or kind of like your family's top ten, however it makes sense for you. So for those who are like, I don't really know what our values are, or they're feeling a little disconnected with what they mm-hmm. want their values to be versus what they think they might be living, which is really hard. Yeah. Ask your kids and ask your kids as young as they are. It doesn't matter because our kids can give us insight into things mm-hmm. that we do versus the way that we want to perceive ourselves. Oh my gosh. That's this is going to be an interesting exercise. Yes. It's so painful, but the kids will come up. And, so I find kids come up with catchphrases, you know, that like we don't catch that we say. So like one that we didn't know was a family value was safety first. We say this all the time. You know, we've got little kids and we're always trying to convince them to like be smart about things like bike count, like everything that we do. So mm-hmm. safety first. And then, you know, when we're talking through homework or hard things that we're doing, are you up for the challenge? Like we, we want to promote the idea of trying new things and new activities. And so then, you know, we hear these things from our kids and we're like, yeah, actually that does reflect who we are. We do want to do that as a family. Now, how do our activities and our spendings reflect that? Well, if we want lifelong learners, if we want kids who are up for the challenge, we need to invest in education. That's not just, Hey, buying you stuff for school or sending private school or kids are in public school, but that's, we take, we take trips. Like one thing we don't skimp on is family vacations. Cause we think that family vacations built like adventures promote bonding. They promote that lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. We're exploring new cultures, things like that. So we align our spending with what we believe our family values are and they change over time too. And that's sure. okay. Sure. So speaking of values, I think a lot of our listeners find at some point they need to change how they're working, whether that is going back to work or stepping down and maybe not having a paycheck for a little while. And I think one of your real specialties is helping moms plan for that. So what are the top considerations when you're trying to make a plan, especially, I think I want to focus on a reduced income right now. Like if you're saying, I'm not going to be the top earner in the family for a little while, or I'm or a only zero gonna, earner. Yeah. Or a zero earner. Or I'm only going to work, you know, 10 hours of contract work that pays almost nothing. You know, So whatever, whatever that is, like what, when a woman comes to you and says, this is what I think I want to do, but I have no idea how to do it. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners are like, I could never quit. How do you help them plan for that? Yeah, And this is, you know, the fear of the financial impact should not be what stops you. Now, your Mm. finances may not be in a position where you can take a career break. That is, that's a fact. So some families are unable to make that choice. Right. But if you are able to, but you're afraid of your ability to get back into the workforce or um, Mm -hmm. kind of navigate that time while you're out of the workforce, that like that fog, that lack of visibility 
into the future often keeps women, mothers in particular, in challenging circumstances that are not aligned with their values. And that is like a really straight way to discontent and, you know, burnout and lots and lots of feelings and mom guilt, like nothing can layer on mom guilt. Like I'm working Mm -hmm. a job I don't like, I should be grateful for this job. I hear that. So I should be grateful. I have this great job, but I don't want to be doing this. And, you know, it, it goes back to values. And, and I think 2020 was such a great year to assess what our priorities are. Um, but the thing that you first have to do is separate the emotional side of a career break and the financial implications of a career break. And so you want to take a look at your budget and really do like a break-even type budget. And, and you know, we talk about break-even in business, you know, how much revenue do we need in order to sustain the business at a base level? And you want to take a look at your family and understand what your break-even is, how much money does the family need in income in order for you to cover your expenses. And Mm -hmm. you don't want to look at wants and needs. People look at wants and needs a lot. And that is important for a long-term planning, but you need to look at mandatory versus discretionary. You can't quit your job tomorrow and say, well, I have a lot of wants, but if you have loan obligations that are assigned to those, you need to really understand it from a, Hey, what are our mandatory payments each month to sustain our family? So that's the first step. And then the second is that emotional piece and looking at how do you view yourself? What is your professional identity? How is that going to change when you're not receiving a paycheck? Most of Mm. us have a lot of our self-worth wrapped up in our net worth. I am really bad at this guys. So like, you know, talking, you're talking to somebody who likes to talk about money, who has a lot of opinions on it. And I struggle with this on a regular basis because it was such a part of who I was Mm -hmm. for so many years before the kids existed. And you cannot just turn that off. So understanding how to talk to your spouse about it, how to navigate the fact that maybe you're going to make decisions out of your career break differently because that paycheck analysis, you're going to value your time differently. And paycheck versus purpose is something that I find women who have taken a career break really need to invest their energy and understanding because there's, can you manage the emotional impact of taking one and adjusting Mm -hmm. to being on one? But coming out of it, many women will take the first job that comes their way that offers them a decent amount of money. And then they're back in the exact same circumstance that they left. And the Mm -hmm. goal is that you develop that awareness through your break so that you can align your skills and what you believe you want in the future. So you said, yep, Missy. And (laughs) you know, like- I don't know how many people they, they want to get back to that old professional path that they were on so badly that they'll just take what they can get. And we do that and we undervalue ourselves when we do that. We take things that lifestyle wise might not be what we want. And just, you know, whoever you were when you left that career, don't let that person be the one who decides the career you go back into and how you earn an income. You changed. And we need to let adult mom, you make the decisions for where you want to go from here. Even going back further than that, I feel like the 18 year old who chose a 
college major is the one who's right. making career decisions sometime. But yeah, even just as far back as when the kids were born, yes, even then we're a different person and have different priorities Completely. and have adjusted our values. And so, yeah, I think it's so, so, so important to think of it that way. Yeah. yeah I say it's 25. There's like, cause this is like a sweet spot. You feel like maybe you've gotten a job, you're making a little bit of money. You have this trajectory, like you can, you have visibility on what's coming. And so we set this, like, this is what my career, my linear, super, totally straightforward career path is going to be. And then we always seem to go back and evaluate based on that. But I don't want to be 25 again. I, you know, <laughs> I, I want this, this life that I have. So using this definition of success that this person that isn't me anymore had written really isn't valuable. It's, it's how we get caught up on not moving forward. And actually, while you're talking about this idea of going back into the workforce after the break, you know, I have found in my life, you know, back when I was working, I'd get this big bonus or whatever. And I think, oh, wow, I got this much more money. That means we could like practically take another vacation every month. And, you know, and flush. but somehow it just gets absorbed into life mm -hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to show up in this big way that you thought it was going to. And I feel like there's a big danger once you go back to work and you have this paycheck that it's really easy for it to somehow just get absorbed into life and uh, you don't use it really strategically unless you plan around it. And then in addition to that, there's all these additional costs that you hadn't had before with childcare, housework or outsourcing things. So would love your thoughts on just how to, the, just like you planned for leaving and reducing your income, how do you plan for going back and expanding your income? Well, I love that you asked this question because I don't know if anybody's ever asked this, you know, how do you <laughs> deal with the increase in income that your family is going to receive when you go back, but you're exactly right. And, you know, we think that having a second income is going to increase our opportunities so much as a family and they do, but they also increase our expenses. Like you said, there's the childcare impact. There's the decisions that we make and going back to, it's not a wants versus needs analysis. It's a mandatory versus discretionary. We can buy a nicer car. Maybe we change where we live. We take on kind of those ongoing expenses that we think we can afford when we add that second income. So oftentimes we don't actually improve our financial circumstances by adding that second income. And oh. it's so important. And there's a book, The Two Income Trap, and you know the, the suggestions for the solutions to how to solve this, I'm not advocating or going against, but, but just understanding that this idea of what we believe a second income to be for our family is often not actually the security blanket that we think it is, is really important for people to recognize. Our costs inflate with our income most of the time. So finding a way, this is where that awareness piece comes in, finding a way to understand how you spend, what you value, and being able to stop yourself before you incur debt or expenses that are going to inflate your break-even that we talked about. And to everyone who has taken a career break in 2020 or whose world has been rocked, who has incurred a reduction in income, we all want to get out of this, but be in this moment and recognize how much you didn't know was going to happen in the last 12 months. <laughs> yeah. That alone yeah. 
should make you want to change your finances. Mm -hmm. Do not build your finances thinking you know what the future looks like. No longer can we pretend that things don't happen outside of our plan. We know that this happens. So in order to be prepared, we have to be more conservative than what many of us were in the past. And you don't have to predict the future because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you do have to prepare for it. And so that means making sure that you have a sufficient emergency fund and plans for if then, if this happens, then we will do this. And emergency fund is something, you know, there's so many different amounts that people talk about when they, when it comes to what the right amount is for an emergency fund. And a lot of people think it's for, well, I incur a medical bill or my car breaks down, but really this, this is for a variety of things. This is, Mm -hmm. I suffered a loss of income against my choosing. I suffered the death of a spouse or a change in my marital circumstances. Like you want to think about all of the different things that might happen. You don't have to predict them, but that emergency fund is a catch-all for many different situations. And so, you know, yeah, your car might be in good shape, but there are so many other variables that you can't control and you want to consider. So a lot of people say three to six months for an emergency fund of your expenses, but really I think that you want to look first at your income potential and your income stability before you're going to set those amounts. Somebody who is, for instance, a writer and has a more volatile inflow and outflow than kind of a regular salaried employee who has a really stable income. Not to say that just having a salary is stable, but, but understanding the, the security of your income and how it works in ups and downs is really important to set yeah. a reasonable emergency fund. Yeah, you touched on this just now. And I think you actually have a podcast episode about this and we'll put it in the show notes. But there was that study done by McKinsey and Lean In and there was a Washington Post article about it that the pandemic really hit women hard. And women, especially mothers, are just carrying the brunt of this. And so many of them really against their wishes have decided to stay home to help educate their children, take care of their families. Has it changed how you approach your work at all? Or has it changed your workload or more women coming to you in a panic? Yeah, you know, it's changed. It's changed a lot and it hasn't changed a lot. Here's what's changed. Um, We're talking about it. So the McKinsey study, 2.3 million women left the workforce. That's both voluntary and involuntary in 2020. That is a massive, massive number. Mm -hmm. But it, it, is something that was happening before. So a study before COVID, well before, 43% of highly accomplished women take career breaks. Highly accomplished, the definition is graduate level degree and above. Now, you would presume that women who are highly educated and are in professional career paths intend to be in those career paths. So Mm -hmm. A vast majority of those women do not intend to take a career break. They do due to lifestyle reasons. And most often it's childcare. Also, professional women have challenges in their family life that make it more likely for them to take career breaks than men outside of just the fact that they focus on the children. They also happen to often be married to highly accomplished men. And the the demographics for men who are in high level positions is a little different. 
and they are more likely to have a stay at home spouse. So there are layers upon layers that existed before COVID. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I like to talk about is the fact that this existed before, and yet we have been acting like every time a woman takes a career break, she's the anomaly. She wasn't the anomaly before, and she certainly isn't the anomaly now, but now we have this opportunity. Yes, we have a tremendous hurdle because we've been set back so many years in progress, but we have this opportunity to talk about something that existed and that we were leaving each mother who takes a career break to figure out on her own. Now we have this ability to harness this challenge and acknowledge the realities of working motherhood and try to find solutions that will actually work with the fact that we need to understand that sometimes we can't plan for everything and parents, whether they're going to be women or men in the future, will continue to take career breaks for their families. Yeah. I mean, I have many moments in this episode where I've been like, oh, but every episode, I feel like I have that moment where my stomach flips over that kind of butterflies. And that was it when you talked about just that this has been happening for years. And I think our generation also has that sandwich generation thing going. And a lot of us have aging parents and because of we all had our kids older, we have, we're still raising children and taking care of parents. And it, it means that we do have to step down sometimes and take a break from our work. And I think our husbands are going to have to consider that at some point too, but it's really, really great actually that, that we're having the conversation. I think it might save a lot of women, a lot of heartache. It, yeah. it does because, you know, we feel like, again, this, this is where some of the mom guilt comes from in the professional, the working mom guilt. It's like, I don't feel like I'm thriving in either my work life or my home life. Mm-hmm. And it must be because I'm doing something wrong. And so by acknowledging that it's really hard, yeah. it's not, that's not saying we can't do what we choose to, or, or we can't do it all. If we are successful, that's just acknowledging that, Hey, Like there are some barriers and let's help each other acknowledge them so we can make plans to clear them, to get over them together, however we need to proceed. But if you don't have it all at the same time, it doesn't mean that you're not ambitious. It doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job. It doesn't mean anything other than you have set your values and you need to be somewhere else right now. It's that simple. Kind of makes me want to cry. I know. I love that. It's, it's, it's realistic yet empowering. And I Mm -hmm. just think it's something that a lot of people are just maybe me and Missy really need to hear. (laughs) So I I have to talk to myself about it a lot. So (laughs) I know I was seriously, as you were talking, I was like, I need like a page a day calendar of you just telling me these things. (laughs) That would be really helpful. You need to create that. That's your next gig. That's it. That's it. So now before we jump into our look, listen, learn segment, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here, but is there some big message for moms you want to make? sure we don't close out without sharing or any kind of programs that you have that we want to make sure we mention that listeners can know about? 
So I'm going to start offering a live Q&A on a monthly basis for career breakers that they can just pop in. You know, what I find is so important when you are on a career break is community with like-minded mm. women. Oh, it's yes. great to have mentors who have been there and done that, but like you need people in the trenches with you sometimes. And so yeah. I want to create that. So if anybody wants to just check the website or email me directly, they can get information about those events that'll start happening. And you know, I don't want to do it in a Facebook live. I don't want to do it in an, a bigger group because I want people to be able to ask their personal questions because sometimes when we're getting started, it's hard to even ask. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really important. And then I'd love for people to check out the podcast. The Money, Career and Motherhood podcast is what I host. And I will be focusing more specifically on career breaks. It's always been a topic that I've talked about on the podcast, but I think the unique financial challenges and, you know, the, the returning to career path, whatever you want that to be, whether that's starting mm -hmm. a business or going back to your old life or whatever, um, we need to have more dialogue on focusing on the solution, not just focusing on the exit. It's great. The podcast is really, really good. We've re enjoyed oh, listening so to good. it. It's so good. Yeah. So Janice, I believe uh, you are aware of our look, listen, learns. That is the time when we just talk about things that we've been watching, reading, listening to learning. So what are your look, listen, learns for this, this week? Yes. So I am reading right now the book Pachinko. Oh, yes. Yes. And so I don't, I don't think I mentioned it, but fun fact, our family lived in Asia for five years. Oh, and neat. so we lived in Japan for three and, you know, living in Japan made me realize how much I don't know about history other than what the textbooks had taught us. And, you know, the lot, deep right? rich cultures outside of the U.S. that mm -hmm. are so thoughtful, but we don't really know much about. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not a history buff or anything. So Pachinko is really, really intriguing because it couples great story with really intimate information about like what life was like at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I highly recommend it. I'm halfway through and I love it. Oh yeah. I, we read oh. that with our book club and yeah, just the, the geographical and political divides of the different areas, which I think kind of like you were saying as Americans, sometimes we oversimplify other areas of the world. And we're just like, oh, it's all that area. They must all be friends. And just like in this small <laughs> geographical area, the huge differences that can, you know, break apart families. Oh, such a good book. I'm glad you brought that up. I haven't thought about that for a while. And then I'm, I just finished listening to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And so- oh, it's so good. And I really underestimated how good it was going to be. And I knew, I knew it's about growing up in apartheid in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, mentally I've got to be in the right space to, to listen to this. And I, I would, I didn't expect it to be so entertaining. It yeah. was, it's such an, in, in, I didn't really know Trevor Noah before. Like, I guess I've been living under a rock because <laughs> everybody else does, but, but so I didn't really appreciate his sense of humor and his storytelling ability. And, and it's such a great listen. Like, I'm sure yeah. it's great to read, but I loved listening to this story so much. I can't even believe everyone needs to listen or read. Oh, I'm glad you listened to yeah. it. I listened to it also. Actually, I did too. It was, my, it was my running mix for a while. I did a half marathon to it, but oh, he's so good. And the story so is good. so 
And yeah, it's hard to say, oh, he made apartheid entertaining, but um, <laughs> the way that he's able to weave his personal stories in there and put real, real, real life into it. Oh, so good. And yeah. he is so dang funny. Oh my gosh. He's so funny. We saw him live. Well, it's probably been at least a couple years now. It's been at least a um, year. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't last year. Um, and he's an amazing storyteller. I mean, yes, he's a stand-up comic, but that's he's so much more. And he's a really great storyteller. And he's really physical on the stage. He moves a ton. And so there's just, if you ever get a chance to see him, like you do get a story out of it. And I think he's incredible. I love him. Yeah, it wasn't one of his stories that he was like a DJ. Yeah, it's been a while since I read it, but I remember those being some of my favorite stories about him up on the stage being the DJ. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So what about you, Missy? So it's funny that you brought up Trevor Noah because my look, listen, learn this week is another South African comedian. Um, His name is Loisa Gola. And okay, so probably two years ago, everything was at least two years ago. At the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, I saw him do a set about unlearning. And I have not stopped thinking about unlearning since he did that set. And he now has a a special on Netflix, which is why I bring it up today. But he talks about that our growth is not just about learning new things and exploring new things. It's that sometimes we have to undo the stuff we've been taught and we have to unlearn the things we thought all of our lives And especially here in Texas, you hear a lot of, well, that's just the way we always did it. And I never had that problem growing up or my family just did it this way. And it's, well, yes, yes. But now maybe you unlearn that because there's a better way or a better way to look at it or think about it. And he tells a story about his mother and I won't spoil it since the special is out, but she was a lifelong unlearner. And I just think that's so amazing. So I highly recommend his special. He's another good storyteller. He has some great funny stories about race and politics and growing up in South Africa. But um, the unlearning part is the part that I just can't shake. What a great term, a lifelong unlearner. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy what we say say and do to ourselves that locks us in. I'm just like, yes. well, I was always taught this or... It worked for me for years. Well, fine, it did, but now you, it's different. And Janice, I think oh, you allude. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't help but think about how that relates to your finances. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Your your beliefs about money that you learn from your parents, and yeah. yeah, yeah. You do a really great segment on the blog about undoing like lifelong, or not blog in the podcast rather. Why did I say blog? But on the podcast about like those money ideas we have that we had to kind of undo and challenge. I went to, it was one of the Texas women conference uh, sessions. This was a few years back. Of course it was a few years back, Um, (laughs) but it was a really small group, but it was talking about finances and they had us break into even smaller groups with just like two or three of us. And we all shared. And that was what one of the questions they asked is like, what lessons did you learn from your parents growing up about money? whether it's managing it or just money in general, like if it's good Mm -hmm. or if it's bad or, you know, if, if it makes people do bad things, you know, there's just all kinds of emotional things. Like you said, money's not an emotion, but there's so many different emotions that can be tied to it either from our own experiences or just from what our parents has taught us over the years. So it was, it was really interesting. I'd never thought about it that way before, but just to be forced to think, what did your parents teach you about money? Like, Ooh, 
Hmm. Yeah, and it's hard because we are like sometimes we have great parents, and maybe there was this one thing that wasn't wasn't perfectly aligned with the way you look at money today. But so we feel bad, like our parents. You know, you don't want to say, "Well, my parents didn't do a good job." And the reality is we all are doing the best that we can with money, with whatever lessons we had. So even if you had great parents, they may not have done the best at teaching you or in your little kid brain, it might have just been your interpretation. That's often a thing that, you know, we don't get to have a conversation with seven-year-old us to understand (laughs) how the limited information we got about money translated into something that we could understand at our level. That's now turned into a story that we live in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like you had asked about, you know, ask your kids what those catchphrases are, whatever that they're picking up on. The thing that I remembered the most in that discussion, and it wasn't even something because my mom didn't really have conversations with us about money. But I do remember the one thing was she wrote checks. She still writes checks. I'm like, mom, don't people don't write checks anymore. But, you know, she would write checks because that, you know, was money or she'd pay with cash, but never, ever, ever used a credit card unless it was to buy plane tickets. That was, and, this, and I mean, I don't think that was a conscious thing that she did, but it was just little me noticing like, okay, if we're buying something, you buy it with money. And then she always said that, oh, I just put it on the credit card, but I pay the credit card bill right after it comes. It's just mm-hmm. that this is such a large ticket item that I, you know, have the safety of putting it on this credit card. So, so yeah, it was just kind of, that was the one thing that stuck with me. And it wasn't even a conscious thing that she was trying to teach me, but now my brother and I both have never had a credit card bill. I mean, I'm almost 50 years old. I have never not paid mm-hmm. off any credit card by the end of the month. And I was going to say, if you're going to pick something out for, up from your mom, that's a great one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I consciously tell my children that all the time. And I tell them that story because I think that, uh, you know, my brother and I were both able to buy our first house in our early twenties. And I think that that's a big reason why is because yeah. we weren't saddled with that. You yep. just set up my son with, or not just, it's been a little while, but, um, like he, he has a credit card and he has money in the bank and budgets it. And so things that we might've bought for him, we ask him to do it so he can see how that works. And a lot of the money still comes from us, but it's, he's managing it. And um, he's much more financially aware than I ever was at that age. But um, he said, when he got his credit card, he's like, what's my limit? And it's attached to ours. And so he has quite a limit. And we're like, <laughs> please tell us you understand that you can't spend the limit. Like you have to have the money in the bank to back it up. And he totally did get it, but he loves torturing me. Cause he's like, I could, I could buy that. I have enough money in my limit. <laughs> like you don't like, have no, that much money. <laughs> no. Oh no. Okay. And so that brings us back to unlearning. Which I, think that, <laughs> I think that applies to a lot of areas of our life. Um, and so what's your look, has- listen, learn. Well, this has nothing to do with anything about what my real look, listen, learn is, but you mentioned the moon tower in 2019, Mm -hmm. which a lot of things around Austin are named moon tower. And I never quite understood that. They just literally put back up a moon tower in our neighborhood. I guess, I mean, these things are like a hundred years old. Uh The only ones that exist in the world anymore. There's I think there's eight of them left in the whole world and they are all in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them's in our neighborhood. And I kind of feel bad for the people because these things are huge. I'm taking a picture of it They're and we're going to link to it in the show notes. And it's, 
Yeah, you got to see it. And now it is in someone's front yard. <laughs> and it was it really in their yard for the past year. Oh, yeah. It's in like five yeah. people's front yards because each yeah. leg of it, it looks, it's so bizarre. It's just like a giant robot. It's kind of like a robot came to life and just decided to stand in your front yard forever. <laughs> so, and I, yeah. I got to go see it at night and see how bright this thing is. Cause the whole They're point bright. is it's supposed to be as bright as the moon. So yeah, good luck falling asleep. So that's, that's <laughs> one of my, that's one of my unrelated learns, but my real learn is, um, and I'm kind of still absorbing it because I was listening to the, one of the newest episodes of your podcast while I was driving. And, um, so it was the Julie, uh, Lithcott Hames. Uh, episode. And it's, we talked about this idea earlier in this podcast too, but this idea of inertia and how you are making decisions by not making decisions. And I actually have used that phrase a lot, but in a um, advocacy role, like uh, I'm I run a group that does advocacy for LGBTQ students, and I try to communicate to people who have really good intentions, but maybe don't speak up or whatever, that by making the decision to not say something, you're saying something. And it's, it's the same idea that making the decision to not do anything, it's, it's making a decision. Um, but I just think that it applies to so many different areas. And Julie commented on that about, you know what, your life is happening. You're not, why are so many people just like think you're just sitting around waiting for someone to tell you go. And then that's when you start living mm -hmm. your real life. It's like, no, it's now. And every decision you make or don't make is really matters and it impacts the trajectory of your life. And I just thought that, oh, that was just so interesting. So I just, I'm learning or kind of processing the learning of that idea. And I love how you brought it up as it applies to money as well. So I just think people should be thinking about that. The, what kinds of things that you say that you value, but are making a decision by not making a decision mm -hmm. about how you're going to approach that in your life. So I like that. Yeah. Oof. Yes. Well, is there anything that we didn't cover? I mean, I think there's a lot. There's about a million. We'd like for we you to come cover. back and do some more episodes. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like we talked about a lot of things, and it's hard. Like somebody might be like, "Okay, well, where do I need to start?" Start yeah. by having a conversation, whether that's with your spouse or your friend. You know, we talked about how money is taboo, but let's start breaking down that taboo so that you can get access to what you need wherever it is in your money relationship. That's fantastic. That, yes, that is incredible advice and just, and it's making that decision to make the decision mm -hmm. to talk about it and not, you can decide it's not taboo. It's that easy. That's right. <laughs> you don't need to uh, yeah. think of that just because you've heard that or society says that, or yeah. we've been taught that by parents or some other grown up as we were growing up. So I mean, think yeah. about how hard it was to find out what certain professions paid. Like it's still hard at times, but that information's a little more accessible. Like we just didn't talk about it. And mm -hmm. it was just, was that wasn't done. You didn't ask people what they made. It would, it's still hard to go into a job interview and they ask you what your salary requirements are. And you're like, oh, what are you going to Oh my gosh. Me? Could we just do like a whole nother episode on our worth and how we give away our time and our value once we do mm -hmm. not have an income associated with it and we will volunteer mm -hmm 
you know, 80 hours a week <laughs> for no pay. For, and it actually, I mean, but if you are valid, if that is something you value and that is your decision right. and you value that, I mean, a paycheck doesn't matter, but if it's something that you are doing because you feel like it's an expectation that you join the PTA when that's not something you prioritize or you do, you drive someone's kids to and from camp, even, you know, even though it means you have to go five miles out of your way. I mean, just got to make those decisions. Like what are, are you valuing your time just because you're not getting paid for it anymore? It's so it like with women, especially mothers, we, we are givers. We are of service to others. It's just natural to us to give. It is unnatural for many of us to ask for compensation for our time and the things that we do. I have a guide that breaks down the six fundamentals to a healthy relationship with money. And one of them is making money. And it's not just having the right skills to be able to get a job. It's being able to ask for your worth and recognizing your worth when you have those skills that are so important for everyone, but it is particularly challenging for women. Absolutely. It really is. I've taken many a contract job at a greatly reduced rate and have even said, well, this is my hourly rate. Oh, but uh, it's okay. I know you probably can't pay that. Like, why did I do that to myself? This is my hourly rate. You need to pay me. I mean, it's work. I love Allison Tedford. We did an episode with her last month and she said, you know, she will send the email about what her rate is and then just go away. Like she can't, (laughs) she can't stay next to the computer or else she'd be like, no, I can give it to you at a discount or, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. she just has to hit send and run away. And I think that's a good lesson. It's hard (laughs) to stick to your guns. It's really hard in a face-to-face meeting, whatever those are. We don't have those anymore, but it's really (laughs) hard to to sit and look at someone. Yeah. I wonder if there's research, like it's easier when we're online and we're going like for the people who have interviewed mm-hmm. through the pandemic, if they've been able to negotiate better, that would Ooh, be I that is interesting because okay. this does feel, I mean, it's, we're here and we're looking at each other, but there's a barrier. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. So yeah. Can we borrow some money, Janice? No. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding oh my gosh yeah we totally we have so many different things that we need to we need to have you back on we're going to make plans for that because i'd love to touch on this some more and we will definitely link to uh Mm -hmm. your new what what are they called sessions or what are you calling them just q a sessions career break sessions sessions. yep all right and where your blog is or your blog god your website is moneycareermotherhood.com and uh, Facebook page and Instagram are the same money career motherhood. All right. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes as well so that everyone can come find you and take advantage of your amazing resources. Yes. So good. Thank all you right. so much for having me here. Thank lady. you so much. This was such a pleasure to meet you and uh, look forward to continuing learning from your podcast. So yeah, yes. the money career and motherhood podcast, do not miss it. And definitely, so oh good. my gosh, start with the Julie Lithcott Hames, just got to say, <laughs> and we're big fans of her too. I remember her book came out the same time as one of our friends, Jess Leahy, um, the gift of failure. And I know that they, they kind of joke that they had dueling books. So we kind of know her from that context, but just hearing her um, on your podcast, I don't know, it opened up some different discussion points than I'd heard of her talk about before. So even if you have listened to Julie before, I think Janice brings up some, some new areas of her knowledge uh, through that episode. So give it a listen. I just listened to the Raquel Kelly 
And I, I mean, I was nodding my head. She had so many great things to say just about that early time in motherhood and getting back into your career. I just, I, that episode was amazing. So I told good. you, that's why my head hurt. My yep. head hurt from nodding. So <laughs> along with yes. so and Raquel's too. funny too. So you're laughing through a lot of it. Exactly. Yeah. She's, yeah. She's got a great sense of humor, but yeah, she does. It's fun. It's great to hear these stories about other women who have navigated, but are honest about the challenges that they've worked through. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you we for giving that them going. voice and making us feel like there are others like us out there. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank, oh, you. thank you for your time. All right. Thank you. Should we do our wave? Have a wonderful Bye. afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Our wave. Bye. The Zoom wave. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. You can find links to the group all of our socials and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count. That was a really fun one. She's great. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have her back. Whether she wants to or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. right, bye. Bye.